morning. My name is Duke. I live back there. Welcome back, uh, Kathy Ball. She's been unable to be with us for a while, so thank. Welcome back. And uh, many of you are fairly new to the church. Um, her husband was one of our greeters for 175 years, and. Uh, <laughs> He used to pick Dave Filio up and spin him around or whatever. So, Oh, the other way around, okay. And uh, Bev, Bev Bowman, welcome back. She's been sick with pneumonia. She's coming back. God's not... And uh, last week, I got booked to go to um, Kenya, Africa, August uh, 9th through the 19th to, do a, to train uh, um, backcountry pastors from the bush country, training them in ministry skills. So I'm really pumped about that. I uh, always wanted to go to Africa. I'm not sure any blonde chicks are going to travel with me or not, but <laughs> I mean, God does miracles, amen. <laughs> well, it's Palm Sunday. It's a huge, huge deal. And we're going to go Backstage, Palm Sunday with Pontius Pilate. I want you to turn in God's word to Isaiah 53. What does Isaiah have to do with Palm Sunday? You'll see. It's 600 years before Palm Sunday. The great Jewish prophet, Isaiah is looking down through the corridor of time and he sees the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. He begins the 53rd chapter with a question. It's a huge question that at the end of our lives, at the end of time, this is the big question. We're going to start here. We're going to finish here. He says in verse 1, Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Remember back in my day, wow, man, God is the ultimate, man. Amen? And creator God, the universe doesn't seem to be by time and chance, does it? Looks more like plan and purpose. And if, if, the, if, the, if the creator of the universe is willing to uh, communicate with us, I would suggest we listen. And this amazing question is asked, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Back in my day, hey, what's up, man? He wasn't yet revealed to me. <laughs> but when the arm of the Lord is revealed to us, everything changes, amen? And he looks down through the core of time, and his focus comes upon a man. And of course, we live, all these things have been fulfilled. We look back, we understand it's talking about Jesus. 
And it gives some clues about this Redeemer, this Messiah, the Savior of the world. It's kind of mysterious. Verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a young plant, as a root out of dry ground. There's no form or uh, majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't just a hunk to be taken to Hollywood and to be adored. No, no, no. He's just going to be a common man. No beauty that we desire him. No wealth that we should seek him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected of men. It's going to seem as though his mission was unsuccessful. He wasn't well, he won't be well received. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He's talking about the crucifixion. It was, the Bible says his body was marred more than any man. It was so gruesome that he didn't even want to look at it. And the people will, if, if, what has God got to do? This is a tragedy. They, they weren't getting the big picture. And I, for many years of my life, I didn't get the big picture either. And there's people here this morning and you haven't quite got it figured out. And boy, today might be the day where it comes together. What an awesome day that is. A day of illumination. When the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and touches our hearts and connects the dots and you realize God does love me. Jesus really did come, and you're getting it. And so, surely he was born our griefs, he carried our sorrows. Verse uh, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, and upon him the, the chastisement or punishment for our sins has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now we fast forward. <laughs> 600 years have passed. I would direct you now to Matthew 27, verse 1. Matthew 27, verse 1, but just stop, don't even read it. I need to set this up. So when you do read it, you have that little aha, putting it into its perspective. What the prophet Isaiah and Daniel had prophesied has now come to pass to the letter Judah had fallen to Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. The temple had been destroyed. Babylon falls to Persia. Persia, King Cyrus, signs a decree to rebuild the temple the, uh, under Ezra. Persia falls to Greece under Alexander the Great. Pastor Matt's been preaching on that the last number of weeks out of the book of Daniel. Greece has fallen to Rome. The Romans are now in power. The Romans had placed Pontius Pilate in authority over Jerusalem and all of Judea. He had proven to be a ruthless and violent man in crushing a minor Jewish revolt in the year 26 AD, some seven years prior to our time that we're focusing in on this morning. Overkill. Many Jews died. He was power hungry. He was angry. He was insecure. He was feared, and rightfully so, uh, and distrusted by the Jews. Offered 
under the Roman occupation, the Jews were offered a window of self-governance to carry on their little strange religious obsessions and do their sacrifices in their beloved temple. So the Jewish number, man number one would be Caiaphas, the high priest, who also ruled over the Sanhedrin court in our vernacular, kind of like the Supreme Court. So Caiaphas is the big Jew, Jewish guy, and um, he had been granted some uh, uh, domestic and religious uh, opportunities to self-govern among the Jewish people. So the final Jewish word comes from Caiaphas. The final Roman word rests with Pontius Pilate. They would have regular, probably weekly meetings, staff meetings, as it were. They hated each other's guts, and yet they were forced into this political situation to kind of maintain one another's status quo, kind of like a Reagan-Tip O'Neill relationship for you old people like me. Say amen, Dave. Or more today like a Chuck Schumer-Donald uh, Trump relationship. They're forced into the same town. They're forced to face the same situations. They hate one another's guts. And that's where we meet Pilate. Chapter 27, verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests' passion week was on. Okay? It's the last week of the ministry of Jesus. When the morning came, all the chief priests and elders and all the people took counsel uh, against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and to be delivered on, over to Pilate, the governor. Let me be Pilate for a few minutes. What I had feared, what I had dreaded is now in my face. I had heard, seemed like a million rumors of this Jesus of Nazareth for the past three and a half years. And now, in the wee hours of the morning, I'm awakened by Caiaphas and his cronies. And it's all over this Jesus of Nazareth phenom. It's Passover. Nearly a million Jews have packed into their holy city. It's their big Jewish event of the year. Passover is always the toughest time. With a million slaves assembled, it could quickly fire up into something really ugly if they choose to revolt against Rome. Then you add all the religious fervor, the utter contempt for pagan Rome. You can see why I just want to get this Passover done, to be over. Everyone just go back home. Pressure is on. But this Passover is worst of all. One of the main tenets of the Jewish religion is this coming of Messiah, a savior of sorts, to save uh, uh, the Jewish people once and from all from their uh, political oppressors and their redeemer to set up his kingdom. A bit of a threat to we Romans who are in power. Their prophet Isaiah had said, the government shall be upon his shoulders. So you can see my dilemma. They want me and Caesar out of their land once and for all. 
They hate me. Well, there'd been a handful of false messiahs through the years. They'd rise up, the people get all excited. Thankfully, they were false alarms. And hopefully, this Jesus will just be another one of them. He'll come, it'll be a flash, it'll go away, and all things will continue, and my reign will not be threatened. But this Jesus is so confusing to me. He seems to be confusing even to the Jews. They are divided over him. Their religious leaders don't buy into him at all. They hate him. They despise him. He won't fit into their little God boxes. But the commoners, they love him. They adore him. Word has it, he does miracles. Healing all manner of sick. Cleansing lepers. Giving sight to the blind. Hearing to the deaf. Even beyond that. They say he calmed storms on the Galilee, even walked on the water. One story has him feeding a multitude with a little boy's lunch. And even recently, last week, a devout Jew in Bethany, just over the backside of the Mount of Olives here, a guy named Lazarus, four days in the tomb, it's reported with hundreds of witnesses, that Jesus of Nazareth raised him from the dead. The Jewish leaders have failed to squash that rumor. And so you can see this Jesus is quite a problem. They want us out of town. A lot of drama's on. Some want Jesus to lead a revolt. He's confusing to me. Jesus often speaks out against the hypocrisy of their Jewish leaders, their lust for power and money. He wasn't like them at all. He just had the clothes on his back. Lived on the handouts of people from town to town. Never sought political acceptance. Never showed any military interests. Just a teacher. And they say healer. And the commoners loved him and adored him for this. Pressure's on. Word out on the street has it that Caiaphas and his cronies have marked him. Put a price tag on his head. But they have to do it under the cover of darkness for fear of the commoners revolting against them. And if there's a revolt among them, Rome will no doubt be brought in and it could be a really bloody situation very quickly. Last time he was in Jerusalem, they tried to stone him to death unsuccessfully, which could have brought many further problems for them to do so without a Roman authority, but they didn't seem to care. They seem to be willing to take that risk. The big question was, will Jesus come to Jerusalem again? 
for Passover. He's never missed before, but he's never been under a death threat like this before either. The big question is, will he come? Knowing the danger that lurks. Answer? He dared. Whoever Jesus is, he's not fear-driven. I was just hoping he'd stay away, but no such luck. The plot thickened. Another one of their prophets, some 500 years ago, Zechariah, in his ninth chapter, wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming unto you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and riding upon a donkey. Well, guess what? That just happened earlier this week. For real. To the letter. What the prophet said happened. And word immediately came back to me. And I'm thinking, oh man. This could be an exciting week. The minds of the masses as they gathered for Passover this time were not really on Passover. Their minds were on Jesus. But they had to kind of lay low with this because they knew if Jesus turns out not to be who they want him to be and they're found to be followers of Jesus, they'll be put out of the synagogues and suffer persecution from their own people. And the people resented this pressure, but they were all nervous on the down low. But they were waiting and watching from the top of the Mount of Olives, winding down next to Gethsemane and right up to the Eastern Gate. They are packed in, they are watching, and they're waiting, and they're thinking only about Jesus. Will he come? What will he do? Will he prove out to be this king of the Jews? It was crazy complicated. And emotionally and religiously supercharged. And from my standpoint, politically threatening. Three quarters of the Jews seemed to love him. One quarter despised him. And yet they were the ones who had the power. They were the ones who controlled the purse strings. It's kind of like a bomb ready to go off at any second. It's all fueled by the commoner's resentment of the Jewish leaders, hypocrisy, and hatred of Rome. Jesus is their greatest hope. And sure enough, he came, riding on a donkey. They went nuts. They're screaming, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna means save us now. It didn't seem that they were talking about save us in a religious sense. It seemed like they were saying save us from a political sense. And that's my threat. This thing could go up in fire so quickly. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David, they sing. They would have made him king right there on the spot. But Jesus strangely didn't seem to have any political interests at all. And the people weren't all that happy about that. They began to question 
Well, if he was the Messiah, he would just take over. He has power to do miracles. Why doesn't he do a miracle here? Why did he say, render unto Caesar and the things that are Caesar's? Why did he say that? Jesus didn't take any of their confusion away. He seemed only to add to it. He didn't seem to desire any of that king thing they were trying to push upon him. He was on some other kind of mission. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to anybody. That son of David thing they chanted, I checked that out a bit. I called in their scribes, got their take on it. Turns out, you know, all those Jewish uh, genealogies where they keep track of so-and-so, the father, so all that genealogy stuff, they had a reason for that. According to their holy book, this redeemer would be of the seed of Abraham, obviously Jewish, but of the tribe of Judah and specifically of the lineage of their great King David. And their scholars checked it out. They connected those dots. Guess what? Jesus fulfilled all that. He was rightfully, genealogically, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. That didn't comfort me much. It excited them, but they're all confused now. He came into town... No, no interest in the king thing. He went straight to the temple and made a scene. He drove out the money changers with the scourge. as the first violence they'd ever seen. No one got hurt, but uh, he never had seemed to have any violence streak in the past. And the religious leaders just doubled down on their preparations to do whatever they're going to do. Boy, that was a political, politically incorrect thing he did there at the temple. And he showed up every day back at the temple, teaching nothing anti-Roman. Came out of his mouth to the chagrin of those who wanted him to be their king. He wanted them, they wanted him to overthrow us. He was harassed daily by the Jewish leadership. But you could feel that something even more sinister was happening backstage. Something more than what we could see. And turns out, surely it was. Three o'clock in the morning. I am awakened. I was the second in line of kangaroo courts under the cover of darkness Caiaphas had privately arrested Jesus in Gethsemane and his disciples surprisingly fled and they held their little midnight Jewish Sanhedrin thing and their 
now trying to drag me into the drama. They need my permission to kill Jesus. Man, I want no part of this. But Caiaphas knows I'm trapped. They have to do it secretly, lest the commoners revolt against them. Caiaphas is just trying to use me, to blame me, to blame the, the Romans for the death of Jesus. And he'll look like the good guy, and I'll look like the bad guy. And I know it. And he knows I know it. But it's still a trap. I didn't buy it. I didn't give Caiaphas what he wanted, what he needed. See, Jesus is from the Galilee, just up north, and I deferred him to Herod, who was a Roman authority over uh, the Galilee. And Herod's in town to uh, make himself look good among the Jewish worshippers, so I sent him to Herod. But Herod wouldn't sign off either, sends him back to me. The pressure mounts. Please turn to Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, no, uh, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now, at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said unto them, and we'll stop and resume our time with Pilate. I'm trapped. My wife had a Jesus dream. Woke her up. She came straight to me. She tells me he's an innocent man. I already sensed that. I already knew that. She warned me not to condemn this innocent Jesus. But Caiaphas and team are relentless. If this blows up in my face, I am a dead man. Caesar will eliminate me the moment he hears of another Jewish revolt. If I release Jesus, Caiaphas can have me hanged. He can report me to my authorities that I'm no friend of Rome, that I released unto the populace their real king. Whoa, I wish this was all just a bad dream. I could wake up and have it all go away, but there it is in my face. If I sign off on his death, I'll have to live with it. I know Jesus is innocent. I know that Caiaphas is a snake. But I have one more card to play. It's a Jewish custom. At Passover, Rome allows them to release one prisoner. We got a, a notorious prisoner, Barabbas, who's arrested for sedition and murder. It's a no-brainer. I'll offer them. You can choose who you want. I'll, you can release un, I can release unto you Jesus, or I can release unto you Barabbas. It's a no-brainer. They'll take Jesus. But 
But Caiaphas and team were one step ahead. And they had already notified the crowd who to choose. And they chose Barabbas to be released. Well, what shall I do with Jesus? And they cried, crucify him. What, crucify your king? They say, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. My back is against the wall. I don't know what to do. So I uh, saw a bowl, basin of water and I washed my hands publicly. It's on you, not on me. I'm free of this man's blood. And I said, crucify him. And they did. It was unbelievable. After the scourging, they played him with a crown of thorns. They mock him. They make him carry his cross to Golgotha through the Via Della Rosa. The crowd was divided. Some wanted to save him and others wanted him to die. They crucified him. They didn't tie him to the cross. They nailed him to the cross. They stripped him naked and he hangs naked on Golgotha. Just outside the Damascus gate. For the throngs, even the children. Want to look upon him. Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Well, he was on the cross. There was an earthquake, rattled the city, and in their temple, the veil between their holy place and most holy place was rent from top to bottom. That sucker's a foot thick. It was so weird. And darkness came at noon for three hours in the midst of the day. What was that all about? And word has it that many graves were opened and dead people walked out. Who is this Jesus. He wouldn't say even a word to defend himself when he stood before me. He was so respectful. When I asked him, are you a king? He just said, you say that I am. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were so, my disciples would fight. But he was nonviolent. Then it becomes even more bizarre. Soon after they buried him, another knock at the door. It's Caiaphas again. He said, I need help. His followers say that he'll raise from the dead. We can't let that be. Give us a legion of Roman soldiers to seal the grave and guard it. Are you kidding me? He wasn't kidding. 
So I signed off for the legion of soldiers to guard a grave of a dead man. But the story is not over. <laughs> Come back next week and Matt, Pastor Matt will tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> this is the ugly part. The awesome part is going to happen in three days. Pastor Matt will report about it in seven days. At the end of our road, it will be the very same as it was at the end of Pilate's road. All that will count in the end is, where did you stand with Jesus? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will meet him as the judge. And it'll be too late for those who have chosen to reject him. Well, I don't reject him, I just tune him out. Because if I follow Jesus, there's a price to pay. I almost didn't follow Jesus back in 1972 when somebody told me the gospel, that Christ died for my sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. I almost rejected him because if I follow him, I can't smoke dope anymore. Everybody has their stupid reasons. I wasn't under as much pressure as Pilate was, and neither are you. That's the application. Will you be a believer, a follower of Jesus, or will you be a rejecter? Pilate had his reasons why he rejected. And he had to live with it, and he had to die with it. When I read this story, here's my greatest solace. Those who rejected Jesus. Herod, Pilate on the Roman front, Caiaphas, his father-in-law, the former high priest, Annas, is in the story. The scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees, they all team together, the deep state. <laughs> Would I let that cat out of the bag, amen? <laughs> they all have their reasons, and they all hated Jesus. Needed everything they could to stop him. But it turns out, in their rejection of Jesus, they only fulfilled the promise of Jesus. <laughs> Goosebumps, amen. He's coming back. And the same thing is happening. And we are the deplorables. 
We're those God, gun, and Bible go-to-church people. We can't get with their program. But in their rejection of Jesus, which is everywhere, in our schools, in our government, everywhere, in their rejection of Jesus, are only fulfilling the promise of Jesus. And that will either terrify you or comfort you. But those are the facts. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Final prayer. The worship team will come, we'll sing. And some of you might want to join me at an altar here and pray for our nation. Pray for our lost loved ones. Pray for our own strongholds that the enemy holds on us, our own doubts. And some of us might want to just rededicate our life to the one who was in control of the situation. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing.